You're listening to The Fully Occupied Show, presented by Occupier. Hey everybody, this week's episode is a replay of my interview with Michael Grant from Metricus on the PropTech Ramble. Hope you enjoy. Hey everyone, Matt from Occupier here. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome back to another episode of the Fully Occupied Podcast. If you enjoy the show, make sure you subscribe on your favorite listening platform or just shoot us a note at marketing at occupier.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts on future guests, topics you'd like to hear about, ask us any questions you have, or just say hi. Enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another uh, PropTech Ramble. Uh, today we have Matt Chafoon, one of the co-founders of Occupy with us. Matt, thank you very much for joining us on the Ramble. Thanks for having me on the show. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. So can you tell us, give us a bit of background about who you are and why you founded Occupy? Sure. Um, my background is in commercial real estate brokerage. I, I worked at JLL uh, for about 10 years in, in, the, in the Boston office of JLL. Um, but I, I spent most of my time uh, representing landlords and tenants in leasing transactions. These could be local landlords, large institutional landlords, or local tenants, or multi-location uh, tenants um, with their portfolio strategy. So on the landlord side, I would represent buildings and basically try to lease them up for their for their owners. And on the tenant side, it was, you know, one-off tenant rep transactions where you're relocating a, you know, a tech company into from one space to another, or I did some global transaction management for some large accounts as well, where you're uh, more on the portfolio strategy and execution of, of a long-term uh, transaction management strategy. So <clears throat> I worked at JLL for about 10 years. And in about uh, 2014, PropTech started really blowing up. And, you know, I was always interested in the kind of the nexus between uh, technology and real estate, not so much in the built world, but more about how, uh, you know, practitioners do their, do their work. Because I felt at the time that there really wasn't uh, a good suite of tools for brokers uh, to manage their workflow. Um, and then, and then the actual clients, the landlords and the tenants themselves. Um, so I joined a company called VTS in 2014 and my role there was sales, but what we were doing right around the series A when I joined was building a leasing and asset management um, software solution for commercial landlords. Uh, essentially, prior to VTS existing, owners would rely on brokers to send them a spreadsheet about their activity for the week. And you know, if you have 20 listings, that means you're filling out 20 spreadsheets every week and sending them to different landlords. And if you're a landlord and you own a thousand buildings, that means every week you're going to get a thousand different documents to pour, th pour over. Uh, to figure out what's going on in my portfolio. So what VTS did was centralize all of that into a kind of a SaaS uh, subscription software package where you log in, you can see your whole portfolio and all the brokers are then required to update all their deals in that system. So if I'm the head of asset management for say Blackstone, I can log in at any given time and understand how many LOIs do I have out? How many leases do I have pending? How many leases do I have expiring? Who's my broker on this deal? Who's my tenant here? When does their lease expire? Uh, rather than you know going through paper uh, stacking plans or spreadsheets of activity reports, so it was very a very basic problem, but it, it was a huge problem because you know it's a fifteen trillion dollar asset class. Um, so I worked at VTS for about four and a half years, and you know while I was working there, I just you know kept thinking about how tenants were solving a similar problem, um, tenants that had multiple multiple locations and their brokers, the tenant reps. 
uh, because in my experience doing that work, it was very similar. It was very manual. It was very, you know, uh, spreadsheet driven. There wasn't a lot of good technology that allowed a, a, a tenant to really understand its real estate portfolio. So started scratching the itch on that problem. And in 2018, with Andrew Flint, who I worked with at BTS, and Eric Pearson, uh, who I, we also worked with at BTS, we, we formed Occupier, um, essentially to create uh, like a command center for commercial tenants to understand their real estate portfolios. The initial idea was deal and pipeline management for tenants. So our first customer was DraftKings. Um, they had just ra raised a ton of money and they were opening offices all over the place and they were doing it on sticky notes and you know spreadsheets. Um, <laughs> so we built a platform that allowed the tenant rep broker and the head of corporate real estate at DraftKings to collaborate through all these site openings to understand um, every step of the process, the negotiation process, the proposal uh, history, um, and just basically you know, be able to log into one place and, and feel kind of the pulse of your portfolio. And then from there, <clears throat> you know, we've built lease administration software and now lease accounting software. So we, we've evolved into a full lease lifecycle management system for, for tenants. But one of the kind of key differentiators that we have is we also enable the broker to be part of that environment because they're largely the strategic advisor for these companies. And um, so we we use the brokerage community to not only add value to their tenant rep business, but also as as a tool that they could put in front of their customers. So we're building this ecosystem of of users that need access to real estate information for tenants, whether they're inside or outside of the business. Um, and yeah, it's going well. We're about four years into it, and we just raised our Series A financing uh, from Omer's Ventures and Stage Two Capital. So yep. we're well capitalized, and we're building the team pretty aggressively right now. Nice. So you've covered off my, my first question, actually, which was, in a nutshell, uh, you know, how does Occupy work and who's it aimed at? So you've just pretty much covered that off. And is there a certain size of Occupy? So someone with one building or is it a sweet spot for multiple building, you know, people with multiple buildings? Where, where's the sweet spot? Yeah, the sweet spot is typically when a company makes a mistake <laughs> because they're not managing their leases properly. And it's usually anywhere from, you know, five to seven leases is when you know, real estate is the second largest expense on the balance sheet of most companies. So, you know, they sign yeah. leases because they're growing fast and they need office space or they need retail space. They're opening stores or restaurants and, you know, they're moving real fast. And then all of a sudden they've got this portfolio and they're probably just managing it in a bunch of PDF documents or maybe a spreadsheet. And all of a sudden they miss a renewal option on one of their spaces. And it's like, oh God, we got to move because the landlord is leasing this to another tenant. And this is going to cost us hundreds of thousands of dollars in downtime. So um, those are the typical pitfalls that you see companies, you know, run into uh, if they're not managing it properly. So it's anywhere from you know five to ten leases is kind of that earliest stage customer. Okay, that makes sense. And from a given what the prop tech ramble is about, where in, in the prop tech industry there are multiple segments. Where does where does lease management? sit in that in, in your eyes? Yeah, that's a good question because PropTech has just proliferated where there's like dozens of segments now, right? It's like, you know, when when VTS raised their Series A financing in you know 2013 or whatever, 14, PropTech was probably a couple of years old. It's pretty nascent. Uh, and then it just blew up, right? Um, I mean, people were calling we work a prop tech company, even though it was you know, yeah. really just a landlord. It's the definition of what prop tech is, right? Yeah, so, like yeah. what's the definition is the question. But what we found, and I think what was the biggest kind of white space for us, 
was that most of the venture capital going into prop tech was really geared towards the landlord community, uh, buildings, building operations, clean tech, whatever, whatever the built world um, needed in, in terms of innovation, those dollars were going to those companies that were building stuff for that. And we felt like that the, the real estate market is driven by demand and demand is really tenants need for space. Um, so we fit in where, where we saw like the VTS or whatever growing was that there's as big an opportunity on, on the occupier side. So corporate America companies, whether you're fortune 500s or just, you know, startups that are growing or regional restaurant chains or franchises, you know, our hunch was that these people probably don't have the right tools to do their jobs. Um, and it's, it's proven out that way. So I would say we, we, we fit into kind of the lease and transaction management category, um, but we're okay. fu- fully focused on occupiers. Okay. Yeah. And, and did the pandemic uh, impact the way your clients use occupier? I mean, did they, did they look to minimize their real estate and did they use occupier to help with that? I mean, what, 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 what effect did you know, yeah. COVID have on you guys and your, and your customers? COVID, COVID was a, you know, obviously every company had that like, oh shit moment at the beginning where it was like, okay, uh, is there still going to be budget for my software that I'm selling and building? Are companies even going to use real estate anymore? Like, you know, the sky is falling type of mentality, but it actually you know, turned... believed what everyone said. No one would ever go back to New York or London and the world was falling down, right? So. Right, right. And here I am sitting in an office. So, um, yeah. <laughs> So I think that uh, it was it was a net benefit for our business um, because the the software itself actually helped these companies navigate uh, the pandemic and obviously it's still ongoing right so an example would be um, Bonobos is a customer of ours they're owned by Walmart the big retailer they utilize Occupier to identify all the co tenancy clauses in their leases where there was possible opportunities to renegotiate with their landlords or, you know, exit leases because, you know, they, they weren't able to be open based on state regulations and stuff like that. So just having that information at their fingertips, they could quickly understand, Hey, look, there's an opportunity here for savings, um, or for, or flexibility in our portfolio, because we've got all of this data centralized in one place. It also was interesting is that we, we ran some analysis and in 2021, we actually saw a net increase of office locations in our platform by 30%, which means oh, that wow. companies reacted to the pandemic by setting up more offices than they they had previously. And it was based on the de-densification, I think, of the headquarters, right? So companies were looking at, okay, I don't have this big tower in, in you know Manhattan anymore for a thousand people because everybody just spread out. But we got to open offices in the suburbs and maybe even different states. So I think because everyone started working from home, it was much easier to attract talent from wherever you could. And so you could set up hubs all over the place. Yeah, satellite offices. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Do, do you think the pandemic has, ha- has made a permanent change to the way real estate, real estate teams are looking at their property portfolio? And maybe what you just said is part of the answer there, right? Yeah, I think, I think a lot of these trends had been kind of already like shifting prior to the pandemic, right? Like there was, you know, name the office trend, right? The hoteling, the, you know, hybrid work, like, you know, salespeople had always been traveling. So like, I think like the headlines, like to paint the picture that like everybody's kind of just trudging off to their office, like a coal mine and like they're locked up in there all day. And, you know, that's how work was, but I don't think it was really like that, but I think the pandemic just accelerated it. And I don't think that it's going to go back to the way it was personally. I think 
people, human beings are now finally the epicenter of the decision making, whereas previously it was, you know, the bottom line of, of how much my rent was going to be. Um, so space yeah. is now more more thought of in, in the through the lens of, OK, how, how do I enable people to do their best work? And that might be yes. from a coffee shop that might be from their couch. And that's fine. And I don't think I don't think it, that's the death of the office, but I think that that's a permanent change. And there's other sectors of the industries that we work with that are interesting in changing as well. So we work with a couple of kind of uh, rapid delivery companies. So I don't yeah. know if you ever heard of like gorillas or. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So for example, yeah. you know, they're, they're using data to locate like micro warehouses in like every neighborhood. And if they need to spin up these stores real quick, uh, they need to manage that in, in a central place. And if the pandemic is, you know, basically if, if regulations are not consistent from jurisdiction to jurisdiction, you know, they have to be able to react to that really fast. Like, where are we going to grow? So by using Occupier, they're able to quickly identify like, okay, we have the site here. It's performing this well. Um, we, we think we could put another one close to it. Um, yeah. Let's, let's, you know, let's kick off a deal in Occupier. So there's all sorts of, and that's a behavior change, right? People are now used to being able to get whatever they want within 15 minutes delivered to their door. So that didn't, that didn't exist before the pandemic. I mean, obviously you could always order a pizza, but um, now there's the sense that I'm working from home. I need what I want when I want it. And, you know, I think that's also a per, uh, permanent change. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And, and you're right, you know, used to be, I think it was Pizza Hut used to give you a free pizza if it wasn't there in under 10 minutes, but now you can get anything, right? So, and when someone wants to spin up a, a new micro warehouse, for example, can they go and select what they need through Occupier and then get a broker involved? Is that is that kind of how it works? It's kind of how it works. I think this is where there's a massive opportunity for us is the opacity of available space information is still pretty yeah. dense in yeah. commercial real estate. You, you've got the 800 pound gorilla in, at least in the States with CoStar that has most of the inventory on it. But aside from that, you're really, you're, you're really relying on a local broker to really understand like what's available in that market, unless yeah. you want to spend hours poring over Google searches, which, you know, no director yeah. of real estate wants to do. So yeah. what Occupier enables the broker to do is, you know, they're going to go scour the market for the client and they're going to do that in several different ways. They're going to pull a survey in CoStar. They're going to call the landlords that they know. They're going to, who knows, maybe even walk a street and go look at a sign, right? And then they're going to put together a package that is typically just delivered to a tenant in a spreadsheet or like a PowerPoint. What Occupier allows them to do is build a digital profile of that survey in software and share that directly with the client. So the client right, then gets notified, hey, you know, Matt, your broker has just uploaded 10 buildings for consideration, like check them out. And then you can log in, you can comment, and then you can kick off negotiations with those landlords in the system and basically centralize that whole kind of um, months long process of trading yeah. paper back and forth between multiple parties into one central place. And then, you know, that makes the broker look good because the client's got one place to go. Um, and it just saves the client time because they're not looking through these documents that they're saving on their desktop and just being, Hey, what was that building? What was the square footage? And how, where's the floor plan for that one? It's just all in one place. That's quite cool. I mean, imagine that from a, as you said, a process perspective takes a hell of a lot of time away and a hell of a lot of manual effort from multiple emails and references and everything else. That's, that's actually quite yeah. cool. That's quite cool. So how do you see lease management evolving based on that and what you're doing and how are you going to change? It's like, you, you, as you said, you've got the 800 pound gorilla at the table, which is CoStar. 
how, how do you see lease management changing and evolving given what you guys are doing and, and where do you think it's going to go? Yeah, I think, um, I think, you know, we're still in the stage of our business where there's competition out there doing what we do. Most of the companies we compete with are, are legacy uh, solutions that, you know, may not offer the same user interface and ease of use and rapid deployment that we do. And they certainly don't have the, the broker functionality that we have. So I think as we look to the future and we build off of like standard lease administration and transaction management and lease accounting software, the more personas that we can pull into the ecosystem, the more opportunities we'll have to add value to the business. The way we look at it is, um, you know, sales teams have Salesforce, uh, HR teams have Workday, IT teams have service now or whatever, but there's no standard kind of infrastructure software for the real estate department, which is like the second largest uh, expense for a business. So when you think about everything that's tied to real estate in a business, it's literally everything, right? It's the people that work in it. It's the the money that you pay for rent. <clears throat> it's how the facilities are managed. So, you know, there's there's been kind of this pendulum swing of big solve every problem software solutions like an IWMS, which, you know, goes yeah. an inch deep across all yeah. of these things. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then you have a bazillion point solutions that can do, you know, move management, you know, space booking, anything, right? So, I mean, we could take this down any path, but if you think about what is really at stake is the decision making for the companies, because that drives the organizational kind of growth of the business. So, if we can centralize the decision making and we can bring that inventory closer to the tenant, then we think that there's an opportunity to build a more transparent kind of um, efficient transaction process in commercial real estate. Um, so if okay. you ma imagine a world where there's thousands and thousands of businesses on occupier and they're doing all their deals, like that's a really rich source of demand information to say that. So, look, yeah. Yeah. That's what I was thinking in my head is you could almost become and where you're, you've got your occupiers using it, but then you want, you know, imagine landlords will want to be on it to know that if their data is in there for an occupier to search for as well, right? So the brokers can start to put, put data in that they're finding for their, for their customers using your platform, but almost you, you could have feeds in from things like CoStar and others. So if I'm an occupier... And I've got one space or two spaces or three spaces, like you said, I, I need micro warehouses or I need just, you know, I need 5,000 square feet in, you know, Miami and then I need it in Connecticut and then I need it in, you know, Dallas, Texas or North Carolina, wherever it might be. If you could type that into Occupy and that would start to come up and you could yep. call that detail, then you have feeds in from other platforms that would then streamline it even more, I imagine. Yeah, exactly. I think. You know, <clears throat> we're living in a world where people are thirsty for data and they have a bunch of different sources to go get it, whether they pay for it or it's public. And if we can centralize as much of that into one place around that real estate decision, then, you know, we get stickier. Customers rely on us more and you start to build an even, you know, more efficient kind of ecosystem for how real estate decisions are made. And and could it be, and this is just something that popped in my head as you just said that, is People are thirsty for data. So could it be that you almost create a shopping list as an occupier? So I need this amount of space. I want to know if it's a smart building or not, whether it's got you know occupancy or capacity or indoor air quality. If I'm bringing people into it for a warehouse, you may want to know, does it have a big roller door? Does it have easy access onto a motorway or a highway or a freeway or something like that? So 
all of those things can you you know kind of a checklist to say right I, this this is my checklist this is what i need press go and then it goes and finds and maybe there's a free version to take basic data but paid for version if you need to get data from other paid sources but that i imagine could be quite powerful for some people when they're using your platform right yeah i mean it's it's 2022 and we're still you still have to call a broker to go find spaces and wait a week to get the inventory you know (laughs) that's just the reality of it and that's not necessarily a bad thing because i think the broker knows which buildings you should be looking at which you shouldn't but if you're not armed with any data what are you comparing that to you can't measure what you don't know so i mean you look at the retail side for example um, there's even different applications that could be interesting use cases think about your point of sale system if you're a big restaurant chain that data is helping you not only understand the performance of that store, but it's also telling you how much you're going to owe your landlord in percentage rent. Um, so if yeah. I could pull that type of data into my lease management system and quickly see, oh, look, the lease is expiring in 18 months and this location is not performing well, you can get ahead of shutting that store down way before you thought you needed yeah. to. Or, yeah. Yeah. or credit card spend information or footfall information, things that are going to drive um, where you set up your next location. Um, if you had that information next to your lease information, you know, imagine how quickly you could get doors open for a new store. So a lot of these things are still very manual. They are. And, and, and as, as, as with everything these days, software and APIs and connectivity will just help bring in more and more data for people to make more informed decisions. Right. And as you said, choose a building faster, choose a space faster, or get rid of a space faster. So exactly. more and more data, more and more connectivity, I think is just the general kind of gist in our space. For sure. I mean, but at the end of the day, you still need to build something of value for your users <clears throat> before you can yes. start ta- 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 tackling yeah. these huge marketplace problems, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, they're the last of the questions uh, that we had for you. Uh, I, I'd normally finish up with a quick fire round of questions, Matt. So I'm going to fire these at you if that's okay. Yeah, shoot. Cool. What, what was your first ever job? I used to mow lawns in my neighborhood as like, you know, a 10 year old kid, just a, every, <laughs> every, uh, every neighbor on my street would, you know, pay me five bucks to mow the lawn. So I think uh, it was a, as a landscaper. Yeah, nice. When and where are you most productive, do you think, work-wise? Um, in the mornings, uh, between 9 and noon are my most productive hours in my office. I try to block my calendar off so people, you know, aren't interrupting that time. Because, of course, like, I, we're running a business, so I have to, it, you know, get on calls and talk to people, whether they're employees, investors, partners, clients, whatever. So yeah, it's in the morning. And what's your favorite book? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, <clears throat> of all time. Um, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a history major that doesn't apply to my profession at all, but it, it, <laughs> it, it usually, um, it usually, I usually lean towards the historical, uh, books. Um, and I would, I also love reading like biographies about like interesting kind of cool people so uh, that's a long way of saying if you ever read uh david mccullough's john adams i think that's one of the best best out there um it was just like a really really good story about somebody persevering through you know ridiculous times i've not read that uh, it's when, when you <laughs> may take you a while. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, books take me a while anyway. My wife always takes the piss out of me that I don't read anywhere near as even much as my youngest child. So, uh, 
When when you're not working, how do you spend your time? I'm uh, mostly with my family. I have, I have twin uh, six-year-old boys who are in first grade, so they take up a lot of time. They're very active. They do a lot of activities. So, um, you know, once the Friday bell rings, you know, Saturday and Sunday are all about chasing them around and you know trying to yeah. <laughs> trying to keep them alive. <laughs> yeah. And, and I find I've, I've got three kids as well. The best thing to do is get them to do a whole heap of sport because then they're knackered by the end of the day and then they go to bed and then you're all good. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and, run, yeah. run them ragged. Exactly. Uh, hybrid working, yes or no? I think I know the answer because we already mentioned it earlier. But. Uh, yes, uh, we have a whole, we have, we have a remote team for the most part at Occupy. We have two hubs in Boston here and then in New York City where we have, call it anywhere from like six to 10 people in each office but everybody else is remote. And even those people that are in those offices are coming in every day. So, I mean, we are like definitely hybrid. Cool. And, and where are your other remote teams? Uh, all over the place. We have people on the West Coast, uh, in the Bay Area, in Southern California. We have uh, somebody in St. Louis. We've got somebody in Salt Lake. We have a team of developers in Latin America um, who are awesome. Um, so, I mean, we're literally all over the place. Our head of sales is in Austin, Texas. So we've got a few, (laughs) yeah, we've got a few places to, to, to visit. (laughs) (laughs) And, and the the last one, knowing what you know now, what would you, uh, what advice would you give your younger self? Oh, probably do this sooner. Yeah. Start, start a company sooner. Um, I, you know, I think. I think there was always in the back of my mind, I, I wanted to be an entrepreneur, <clears throat> but didn't really know how to do it or what to do. And that's what really drew me into real estate because I felt like being a broker is actually a pretty entrepreneurial endeavor. But at the end of the day, you're still, you know, your uh, quota gets reset every year and you still have to perform and you're doing that for the company that, you know, is on your business card. So, I mean, I, we, I, I didn't start this company until I was in my mid thirties, late thirties. So that's not to say, you know, you should graduate from college and start a company because you got to learn a lot. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. you know, if I did this a little, a little bit sooner then um, no regrets, but would have done, would have done something entrepreneurial a little sooner. Yeah, same. I would have done the same thing. I would have started my first business a little early, but like you said, you've got to go out there and learn, right? You can't just magically yeah. graduate and then think I know everything and I can go and start a business. Some people are very smart and have a come up with a really niche idea and they do it and, you know, they're very, very smart people, but you do need a little bit of worldly experience, especially in the real estate world, right? So you need to understand yeah. who the players are, what works, what doesn't work, so you can then build a business like Occupy. Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. Cool. Well, Matt, thank you very much again uh, for joining me and and everybody. This has been the PropTech Ramble. Oh, the next episode I do have here written down, it's Brittany Van Matre. So everyone look forward to the next one. Matt, thanks again. Have a good afternoon, mate. Thanks for having me. Cheers, buddy. Bye-bye.